We have gathered this morning to worship God. Amen. To take a few moments out of our week to begin the next week by studying his word and hopefully applying it to our lives. Folks, do not let this become another Sunday. Do not let this be just another worship experience. Let this be a morning of worship because, folks, Monday morning is right around the corner and you will be back into your routine. And by God's grace, you and I will be back here again next week. But we must allow the power that we experience today is the same power that gets us through the daily grind of the week. Let me ask you something. Do you expect the unexpected today? Do you come to worship the Lord expecting something? Or do we just come to worship because that is what we do? Do you expect that you may have an encounter with Jesus this week? My prayer is for you and that I can live a life of expectancy. That it's not just another week. We have 52 calendar weeks in the year. And as Donna reminded me this morning, we have 50 more weeks until Christmas. <laughs> but yet, we're in the same routine, the same rut. But I want to give you an illustration because to live expectantly, we have to get out of our comfort zone. And if, if we all have our comfort zones, you know, that, that area of what things you like to do and things you don't want to do. And, you know, you have that certain zone to where if, if someone you don't really know gets close to you, if they get too close, then it's out of your comfort zone. For example, elevators or or uh, any number of situations. But I know Don and I, when we go off together and stay in a hotel, if they have it, we always like to jump in the hot tub. How about y'all? Some of you, yes, and some of you like, no. Well, anyway, we like doing it. And uh, it never fails. We'll get in there, and, and it'll be just us, and we'll be having a good time. The bubbles just kind of pulsating on your back and just really uh, relaxing you. And before you know it, somebody else comes in and sits in the hot tub. And then they have a friend. And then they have a friend. And then before you know it, you're in this hotel hot tub with strangers right beside you. And you are out of your comfort zone. That's how you know it's time to get out, dry off, and go back up to your room. And as much as that gets me, I'm sure that I've probably done that to other people. But we will spend a great amount of time and energy trying to not only maintain our comfort zone but to defend our comfort zone. How do I know that? It's because nobody likes change. This is what I'm comfortable with. This is what I can deal with. This is what I cannot deal with. And some of you have spent all your lives in your comfort zone. You don't know what it's like to be uncomfortable anymore. Where in Scripture does it say the goal of a Christian is comfort? Jesus did not call us to carry a pillow, folks. He called us to carry a cross. Jesus had a purpose in life. And when he conducted these miracles, his purpose was threefold. The first thing he wanted to do is he wanted to transform people. Not only did he want to transform people, he wanted to send people. And the third thing that he wanted to do was share his message. 
transform people, send those people out into the world to share his message of forgiveness from sin and others. So as we look at the scripture today, I want you to see that miracles begin with Jesus interrupting our daily routine. So I'd like to read with us together Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 as our text this morning. It says, as the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gesenaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master Simon replied, we worked hard all night long and caught nothing but at your word. Underline that. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. And of course, as you know, this miracle, verse 6, when they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. I don't know about y'all, but that's a lot of fish. And we see here that when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they took. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. And notice what he says next. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left what? Everything and followed him. I I love this passage. There is so much packed into this that the first thing we see here is that the crowd was hungry for God's word. You see in the very first verse it says the crowd was pressing on to Jesus to hear God's word. Remember, he was doing miracles. He was popular. Everybody wanted to hear about him. The crowd was curious. Folks, we still live in today. I know that we have different generation gaps. We've got millennials and boomers and Xers and Yers and Zers and, and all these different kinds of, of, of generations. But our world is hungry for the gospel. Our world is hungry for God. They just don't know it. And they keep filling their lives and stuffing it full of things that leaves them empty, that leaves them caught, that leaves them depressed, and that leaves them with nothing. Our world is hungry for the gospel. And we see here that even the the crowd was hungry for God's word. We see that as far as being hungry for the word, do you crave God's word? Is reading God's word a chore? Is it something that you do when you need it? Or is it something you do that you read before you need it? Even Jesus himself, at his greatest temptation, he was hungry for 40 days. He was in the wilderness. This was basically Jesus' boot camp 
before he became the Jesus that we know of and we're preaching about today. God had to test him. And for 40 days he went without food. And the first thing that happens at his temptation, what do you think the first thing Satan tempts Jesus with? Food. I don't know about you all. But if I have not eaten in 40 days and Satan puts a biscuit in front of me, oh my. That's going to be tough. But Jesus knew something even better. Even even the devil was twisting scripture. And it says in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And I would say to that, no kidding. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. A physical hunger he tempts Jesus with. And Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the Lord. Jesus physically was hungry, but he desired his father's words more. We also see that Jesus answered that. He says in verse 4, but he answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He was actually quoting scripture. Did you know that? Because Jesus didn't have the New Testament. He couldn't quote himself because those books hadn't been written yet. But in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, the very words that he says are from Scripture. Let me ask you something. When our lives get put into the wine press and we get, is it squeezed or squozen? Or we, get, we get pressed. What comes out? Whatever's inside of us. And if God's word is inside of us, That's what's going to come out. If it's not God's word, that'll come out too. But Jesus answered with scripture. And so folks, when we truly taste God's word, we gain an appetite for it. And once we consume it, we will always want more. Listen, we have strong times, we have dry times, but I pray often, I say, God, give me a desire to read your word. For so many times we have seasons in our lives to where we, we sit down, and, and some of you in here, I don't know why, you like collard greens. How many of y'all ate collards for uh, New Year's? All right, we got Wow, I feel like I'm the only one that's out. Well, anyway, I don't like collards. But sometimes when it comes to reading the Bible, there are days when it feels like I'm eating collards. And then there's other days when I feel like I'm sitting down to a nice T-bone steak. It's not God's words problem. The fault is not there. The fault is with me. But when is the last time you prayed, God, give me the desire to read your word? Even those of you that are children in here, when's the last time you said, I'm going to have a tough day at school tomorrow. Let me read a scripture. Let me read a verse that's going to help me get through the day. If you don't have one of those verses, talk with your parents. Talk with your teacher. Talk with myself. We will get you that. But God's word is what frames our day. And as we see here, the fishermen, what were they doing with their nets? They were washing them. Because if, they're, if they do not wash their nets, and if they don't spread them out and they dry them at the end of a work day, they will rot. And then a net that rots is no good. The nets that they used were like a, a big bell-shaped net with weights around the end of it tied to a long string. I remember when I was a summer missionary uh, at Huntington Beach State Park, uh, my recreation was going fishing for the the, uh, the mullet fish. 
that were in the marsh and areas, stuff like that. And so I got pretty good. There's this big net with, with weights on it, and you would sling it. And it would be like, and it would go from being all balled up to being like this big circle. And then it would just sit on the water. And the nets, the weights on the net would just pull it down. Then you'd pull a string, you'd come back, and hopefully you'd have some fish in it. This was that, but the nets were much bigger. And it took more people to do that. Because the kind of fishing that Jesus is talking about when we have to be fishers of men, it's not one man sitting on a bank with a lure. Okay? It's a team effort. It's a group effort. Evangelism is not just one person doing it for everybody. It's everybody jumping in together. And the boats, they were not recreation boats. Folks, they did not use their boats to go on a ski trip. It wasn't a sunbathing cruise. It was a work trip. We all have daily duties just like them. They had to take care of their nets. We have to pay the bills. We have to eat. We have to wash the dog and all those kind of things. But everyone has a daily routine to some extent. And the fishermen were doing their daily grind. They were, at the end of the day, they had caught nothing and they were washing their nets. Now, I've been in situations where you've had, you've worked in companies or you've been in organizations where you had daily checks that you'd have to do. Some of you have worked in plants and other places where you know when you go in, the first hour or two is checking your equipment. And the next hour you do this and the next hour you do that. They were, the fishermen were just doing their daily grind. And they were upset because they had been out there all day and caught nothing. But here's the thing. Jesus challenges our comfort zone, doesn't he? Jesus is no respecter of our comfort zone. I love this. If you look back at the text, unexpectedly, did Jesus ask to come into the boat? Nope. He just went and got in the boat. Who is Jesus Christ to just step into that boat without being asked? Who is Jesus Christ to ask you to do something without giving you some kind of warning? Folks, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that if anyone has the right to interrupt your life, it is Jesus Christ because your life is not your own. If you are a Christian, let me tell you what Mark 10.45 says. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Your life is not your life as a believer because Jesus bought it on the cross. Also, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? And was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. Therefore you must honor God with your body. Will you let God take you out of the comfort zone today you're in? Would you be willing to pray, God, I know that I'm comfortable. I know that I'm set in my ways. And I know that I'm in my rut. So you come into my boat and you show me what you want me to do. If you don't want that to happen, do not pray it. But if you want to be shaken out of your comfort zone, if you want to get a new vision, if you want to get that next step in your spiritual walk, pray that prayer. God, come into my boat. Step into my boat. And we see here the second thing is that Jesus' commands are simple yet challenging. They are simple yet challenging. In verses 3 through 7, it says in chapter 3, of course, he got into the boat. And what did he ask him to do? He said, put the boat out a little bit. 
go out a little bit because remember the crowds are pressing on him and there's no way he could have talked to everyone in that position. So he says, take me out in the boat a little ways. Because see, the crowds were surrounding Jesus to the point that he could not communicate his message. And to Jesus, the most important thing to him was communicating the message. He cared nothing about his celebrity status. It was his teaching that he was concerned about. And why do you think it was significant for Jesus to hop in that boat and go out a little ways in the lake? There's some literal, some technical reasons for that too. Number one, if he got into the lake and went out a little bit, they couldn't crowd him, right? And the second thing is, they didn't have PA systems, they didn't have microphones like I'm wearing. And so Jesus knew that by being on the water, the water reflects the voice. It was almost like a PA system. More people could hear his words because the physics of sound dictate that his voice could carry further because it went along the water. J. Vernon McGee says this. He says, every pulpit is a fishing boat, a place to give out the word of God and attempt to catch fish. And I would take that one step further. Every Christian's life is a fishing boat. If you are a believer today, he has said, I will make you fishers of men. But if all you're doing is washing your nets and not casting them, you're not doing what he's called you to do. Your boat is your life. Jesus gives an invitation to you to join him in the fishing for the lives of men and women to express his story of forgiveness, of love, of sacrifice, and resurrection. Because, folks, a fishing boat is of no use if it stays anchored to the pier or stays in dry dock. To many Christians today, their boat is stuck in their pew and it hasn't sailed on the water in years. You are the light of the world. You are fishers of men. Put your boat in the water. Let Jesus interrupt your life to call you to do something greater. Because God gives every one of us a platform and an audience to share his love with them. We must use it. But not only does he give us a platform, he says, join me in my work. In verse 4, he says, go into the deep water and cast your nets for a catch. (laughs) I love this. Because... It was, it was almost like Jesus' first command was put out a little bit so I can preach. Now, I'm going to show you something amazing. Go out deeper, is what he tells them. And this, this challenged Simon Peter's faith because he's a fisherman. What did this Yahoo carpenter know about fishing? That would be like me trying to give some of y'all fishing advice. I couldn't do it. You'd be like, yeah, right, preacher. You go preach. I'm going to fish. Jesus challenged his faith because the challenge was going to go against everything that the fishermen had known to trust Jesus at his word. Isn't that what Simon Peter said? But at your word, I'll do what you say. Simon and his men were professional fishermen. And it's a well-known fact that in the Sea of Galilee, you caught fish at night in the shallow water, not in the daytime in the deep water. 
In other words, not only is Jesus giving them a command, they have been fishing all day and they have caught nothing. And all of a sudden, this guy named Jesus comes and tells him to go deeper and cast out your nets where the fish aren't going to be. It doesn't make sense to them. But at your word, I will do that. Jesus was asking Peter to trust him over his experience and training. Jesus was asking Peter to have what? Faith. Jesus is asking you today to have faith. Peter was getting ready to get a greater understanding and appreciation for Jesus because he was willing to take a chance. Verse 5 says, Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. You ever felt unsuccessful? Have you ever had your pride attacked? Have you ever said, had someone tell you you didn't do as good a job as you thought you did? Have you ever had those moments where you felt like everything you try to do is kind of like the magician where every trick fails? Have you ever come to the end of yourself and your pride been attacked and then Jesus says, keep going. Take one more step. Go out just a little deeper, James. Go out just a little deeper. And then cast your nets. Will you love and trust Jesus enough to take him at his word? Folks, we spend our lives basing our decisions on the words of others. Teachers, friends, news reporters. For example, how many of you all watch the news in the morning to find out whether you need to take a raincoat or not? Finding out whether it's going to be long sleeve or short sleeve weather. We looked as experts. We looked as strangers. What would happen if we took Jesus at his word without hesitation? And we see that Peter's faith was rewarded, wasn't it? It says their nets began to what? Their nets began to break. I'm going I'm to give you an aha moment here. There's two aha moments. This is the first one. In this passage, in this account... This takes place near the beginning of their ministry. And if you fast forward to John 21, where the third appearance of Jesus Christ is before he ascends to the Father, they have another fishing trip just like this. Except there's a difference between John 21 and Luke 5. You know what the difference is? When they hauled in the fish, the the net did not break. What makes a difference between Luke 5 and of the net breaking and the net not breaking in John 21. Because in John 21, the work of Christ has been finished. The new covenant has been set in place. That Jesus died for your sins. He loves you. And that everyone that hears the gospel and accepts the gospel is secure in that. John 27 through 28 says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish ever. No one will snatch them out of my hand. The net does not break is because the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the power over sin, death and hell, the power that saved you from your sin and from yourself is the same power that holds you today. Believer, you can be secure today that the net you caught you will be the same one that will hold you. The net that caught you will be the same one that will hold you. 
This third point is my second aha moment. Jesus will never give up on you. In verses 8 through 11. Jesus gave Peter and the disciples a second chance. I don't know about you, but have you ever been to like a clothing store or even a fun house or somewhere where they have a, a 360 mirror? Those things are intimidating. So, who wants to see a 360 mirror themselves? I don't. But the thing is that when you use a 360 mirror, you get to see everything. There's nothing left out. And the beautiful thing about the Synoptic Gospels, and some of you say, what in the world are Synoptic Gospels? It's basically Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those four Gospels that tell same accounts from different perspectives. And some that are in some book are not in the other book. But here's the aha moment that I want you to get that Jesus will never give up on you. Because this miracle, this passage, this happens after Jesus gave the initial call to the disciples. So many times we see passion plays and we see uh, accounts and movies and Jesus says, come and follow me. And they all, oh, okay, let's go. But what we see because of this miracle, because of where it is located and when it happens, this means that Peter and Andrew and some of the disciples heard the first call But they went back to their nets. They went back to their boats. I hear you, Jesus. I hear you calling. But I got fish to catch. They heard the call. And they ran. So did Jesus say, Okay, I'll go on to the next guy. No, he didn't. What did he do? He said, Okay, you can run if you want, big boy. But I'm getting in your boat. See, we don't. when we read this story now with the fact that there is already history between Simon Peter and Jesus and those fishermen, it's got to be kind of awkward. He is the guy that told them to follow me. And here he is again showing up at their work, in their boat, telling them what to do and how to fish. If you go back and look at verse 3, it says he got into one of the boats which belonged to Simon and asked him to put out a little from the land. Even though Peter and the others had ran from Jesus' initial calling, he pursued them. You may have felt Jesus' calling before, either to accept or serve him. Is he stepping in your boat today? Is he stepping in your life today with a simple command to put the boat out Just a little bit. Is he working on your heart today? Is he asking you to become a believer? Is he asking you to be baptized? Is he asking you to become not only a member of a church, but a productive member of the church? Is he asking you to be a better husband, a better wife, a better friend, a better testimony for him? What did Peter have to do to get this blessing? I'll tell you what he had to do. When you give up on yourself, Jesus will use you. When you give up on yourself, Jesus will use you. Jesus tackles, on, tackles Peter's pride head on. 
As a commercial fisherman, Peter was a brotherhood of respected men that worked hard, that supported one another, that knew what a hard day's work was. If you've ever seen that show on Discovery Channel, The Deadly Catch, you know that those fishermen have a special bond, those commercial fishermen. And all of Peter's knowledge, all of his ability, all of his nets, all of his boats could not produce one single fish that day. Peter must have thought as a fisherman, if I am a commercial fisherman and I bring home no fish, I must be a failure. Peter's pride was attacked. And sometimes when you don't feel successful, or sometimes when you feel like that you're just spinning your wheels, that's that pride that's being attacked. But Jesus' miracle brought Peter to the end of himself. Being at the end of yourself is a very raw, very hard, but very beautiful place to be. Because when you come to the end of yourself, that's where Jesus begins to work. When Jesus displays his power to us, we see him for who he really is and ourselves for who we really are. Peter was humbled. His His first response was what? As we look here in the scriptures, what does it say in verse 8? When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch they took. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons of Simon's partners. Not only did he have the guilt of doubting this man that got in his boat, he is now looking at the man that called him to follow him, and he said, No, I won't go. And then he finally realized at that moment, oh, I made a terrible mistake. He was repentant. He confessed. He said, Jesus, you should just find somebody else, someone who has greater results and greater faith. And Jesus said, no, Peter, I want you. I love you too much to leave you now. He says that to you today. I want you. Yes, there's other people I could ask to follow me, but I want you. Why did Jesus do this to Peter? Why did Jesus not just give up on him and go to somebody else? It's because Jesus saw in Peter what Peter could not see for himself. Later on in Acts, the day of Pentecost, Peter's first sermon, 3,000 people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. Peter didn't see that at the moment when he came back that day and hadn't caught any fish. Jesus sees in you what you cannot see yourself. So in conclusion, I would say this. Live expectantly. Live expectantly. Say today this phrase, if you mean it. Jesus, I have failed you today, but you have never failed me. That is your mantra. That is the thing that that hopefully as you get up and go to work tomorrow or as you go back and look over your notes if you took any of this or you go back and you listen to the podcast of this and you hear this, remember, Jesus, I have failed you today, but you have never failed me. And Peter is living proof of that. We see this in this miracle. So do not discount or drown out Jesus in your daily routine. Live a life expectant of his invitation to follow him on a daily basis. And folks, if you have failed him before, he's going to lovingly give you another chance. 
Because he doesn't dwell on what you were, but he dwells on what he's going to make you. He doesn't dwell on what you were. If you prayed and you confessed and you got rid of those sins, he doesn't go back and look at that. It's not, not what you did, not even where you are, but where I want to take you. And being a fisherman, as I said earlier, is not an individual, not an individual sport. Just as Peter needed partners to bring in the haul of fish, we need each other. Church life is not a game of solitaire that you play by yourself. We need one another. And your success in growing your faith will not be accomplished by what you have done for Christ. But having the faith to believe in what he wants to do in you and act on it. Even if it's a small step. Live expectantly today. Let's pray.